Father, we just come before you. <laughs> As that song said, Lord God, your death <clears throat> brought liberty, Lord God. Lord God, the law gave way to liberty, Lord. Lord God, and I can't wait for the day, Lord, that I can look my Redeemer in the face, Lord God, and fall and worship at your feet, Lord. God, we are eternally grateful, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Lord God, we just praise you and we thank you, Lord God, and I ask, Lord, that you would just bless this evening, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would touch the words that come out of my mouth, Lord. I pray, give me direction and guidance, Lord. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you would give me clarification, Lord God, to deliver your word, Lord, the words of Almighty God. We thank you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Good evening. You may be seated. <clears throat> um, I, I told the band before we prayed that, and they had a tough practice. Um, you may not have noticed that as they were playing. Um, but I've been conflicted in how to start this message and what scriptures to use. And uh, I just, and so I'm just going to go. Um, and I might throw Lorraine off back there and add some stuff, but if that happens, we'll just work through it. Um, so I want to start off by saying when, when I was 18 years old, um, <clears throat> my mom sat down with me. It was actually over Christmas break uh, of my senior year, and she essentially gave me um, two options of colleges. Um, you know, uh, I, I didn't have the typical college choosing experience that most kids did. You know, a lot of kids, their parents take them on lots of college visits, and essentially, I had two options. Not that, that I could have, you know, uh, that my parents wouldn't have allowed me to go other places, but the two places that were best for me. And so my mom sat down over Christmas break, and she said, hey, listen, here's the dollar figures. This is what it's going to cost. This is going to be cheaper. Here's your decision. So I, I chose to go to Muskingum. Um, it was actually cheaper than me going to OUZ for two years for free because uh, to obtain the degree that I wanted, I would have had to go to OU main campus. And, and so mom and I, we, we worked out the figures, and she helped me through that decision. Um, you know, and I think that speaks volumes of my mother um, because if you know the history of our family, it's not my parents didn't go to college. And so for my mom to sit down, you know, and she had gone through that with my brother and my sister. And so I think it speaks volumes to, to the growth of, of my family from where my parents came from. Um, and I hope that I don't offend my parents or my extended family tonight. I think they'll laugh. Um, but as I was applying for college, I remember receiving a grant. It was a $500 grant, and it was called the Appalachian Grant. And I had no clue what that was. I didn't even know what it meant. I know there were Appalachian Mountains, Appalachian Mountains, whatever you want to call it. I didn't know what it meant to be a part of Appalachia. <clears throat> to put it in nice terms, and you fall in this, we're a bunch of rednecks. We're hillbillies. And Pastor can probably attest to this because he's not from here. And you fall into that. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that. And a lot of what I detest in myself is the culture that I grew up in. The fact that if somebody cuts me off, by golly, I'm going to let them know. And I'm going to be really close to their, their rear bumper. I might even honk. I might flash my lights. And if someone's riding my tail, guess what? They're getting the windshield washer fluid. 
And if I'm right beside a semi, you better guarantee I'm going the same speed as that semi. And I'm going to let them feel it because it's in me. That's that hillbilly spirit. And I didn't know that growing up. I, I, didn't, uh, I, don't, I don't think I realized it. And so I read this book um, for a class that I'm taking. And, and it's about this young man who grew up in southwestern Ohio. And he is, eventually went to Harvard Law School. Um, he wasn't even at the top of his class coming out of, of high school. He actually was a, a C student, CD student, but ended up going to law school. Years later, obtains a law degree becomes really successful, and, and as he was becoming successful, he realized all of these things that, that were attached to him because of where he was raised, and, and, and that's me, and, you know, I would say that, that my parents, they were raised by working poor, right? They were raised by parents who were the working poor. Dad's story might be a little different than mom's, but I could tell you stories, and if you don't think we're rednecks, I will offer my Uncle Bruce's services for about an hour and a half of him telling stories. And, and he will verify that he and his siblings were rednecks. And, and Nathan and I um, have our stories that we could go on for hours. Some of which we will never tell our parents. Um, most of which we you know, have since given to them. You know, in southeastern Ohio we struggle with the word have, uh, you know, we just cut it out of sentences. You know, I've seen that person, you know, rather than I have seen. Uh, we really struggle with that word have. You know, we have our own dialect. Um, but I can guarantee you, and, and, and I have a lot of family members in here, and, and I bet they would agree with this, that if there was a problem that needed solved, and there were people in Washington, D.C. who needed to solve it, or us, we could solve it better, it would last longer, and it would be, significantly cheaper and I can guarantee that and we could probably do it with the resources in our garage because we don't throw anything away I'm telling you that is the truth and I swear there are times I amaze my wife now Carrie's family is very similar her family her, her grandparents were from, from Kentucky and I always joke with Carrie that my family is just a generation behind hers you know she, her, her family um, you know I wouldn't say you can see the hillbilly nature as much, um, but there are times I just amaze her. And, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with where I was raised. Um, but fortunately for me, that's not my identity. <clears throat> and I look at my dad's family. <clears throat> my dad's family, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, was swallowed up by that culture and by the circumstances of his life. And I look at my dad, and my dad's immediate family, and he was delivered from that by the grace of God. It's only the grace of God, church. I cannot tell you where I'd be if my father would not have found the Lord. Now, my mother had previously found the Lord and found salvation, and had my dad not come to know the Lord, and as Jason preached this morning, the Lord come to know my father, I can't tell you that I'd be standing here. I can't tell you that I'd be preaching. It's by the grace of God. And um, as I, I get into the scripture, I want to point out one thing. You know, uh, Carrie came and had lunch with uh, the people I worked with last year, and the guidance counselor said, oh, we just love Chase. He is so laid back. And Carrie just looked at her and said, 
my Chase, my husband? And she said, yeah, he's just so calm, collected. And, and, uh, and, then, and then this year was, I turned 30, uh, 31, um, and someone else turned 30, and they're like, oh, 30 is such a big number. I, I said, I'm just glad I made it there. And they said, why? I said, I don't know, I'd never thought I'd live to be 30. And they said, you're not dangerous. And then, of course, I laughed. And, you know, the people who know me know, A, I'm not laid back. I've got a little bit of my mom in me, but I'm not laid back. I, I'm pretty high, high intense, and, and I'm definitely dangerous. Um, but what I would love is I would love you to ask that person, what's Chase's faith? Where does Chase stand and his belief in Christ. And see, those people may not know me uh, on that personal level because I maintain a professional uh, mindset and a lot, of, a lot of times I just want to go off. And I want the real me to, to come out, the, the one that Carrie gets to see in the evenings when I'm <laughs> ranting about what happens. Um, but I would hope that they would say, man, he's, he's a strong Christian. He talks about God. He talks about the things of God. The light of Christ shines through him. And I would hope that, that they wouldn't miss that one. They might miss my, my character traits, my personality. They might miss those at work. But I pray to God they don't miss the spiritual side. And so we're going to start in Galatians chapter 4. And I'm actually going to start with 4. And I've got a lot of scripture tonight, so bear with me. Uh, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born, un, born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law, that they might re, uh, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Church, that's my identity. I'm redeemed, and I've been adopted as a son. That's my identity. Yeah, I may have grown up in Appalachia. I might have that redneck running through me, and I know you can't tell because we're so refined these days, but. I am a son of God. I am grafted into the vine. I am adopted, receiving the promise just as the, the Jews. We, we receive the same promises from God, even more. Five again. To redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth his spirit and his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are heirs of God through Christ. We are heirs of God, church. Whoo! Think about that. We are heirs. I'm a son of God and I am an heir. Man, that's a lot better than a hillbilly from southeastern Ohio. That's a lot better promise. And you can see it in the lives of even my, my mom's family, those who are serving God, and in my dad's family, those who serve God. You can see the promises. You can see it in their age. My dad looks like the youngest one of his siblings, and he's the oldest. God has blessed us. And I can't help but think of, man, I'm an heir. I'm an heir to Christ. Whew, man, 
But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you've known God, or rather are known by God, think about that scripture as it relates to Jason. As Jason was preaching this morning, I couldn't help but think, confirmation from God. Thank you. Uh, confirmation. It just lines up perfectly with, with what God had given me. Jason and I haven't talked in months, weeks. It might not, I mean, we had a brief conversation last Sunday, but we both have families, we're busy. We didn't conspire together and say, hey man, what are you preaching? I didn't even know Jason was preaching this morning. I got here and thought, oh man, great. I haven't heard Jason preach in a while. It's good to hear him. You know, and it was confirmation. But now after you've known God, or rather are known by God, Church, as, as a son or daughter of Christ, you are known by God. That's a great gift. That's a great thing to have. How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements in which you desire again to be in bondage? Whew. You've been delivered, church. Why would you desire to go back into bondage? I have a very close friend that I work with, and actually I haven't known him that long. We just started working together this year, but we're kindred spirits, and, and, and we'll sit and talk about the things of God. Um, and, and one night, I mean, we were going back and forth for four or five hours, and I know it bothers Carrie because I work with these people all day, and then I come home, and I'm commu- communicating with them, and, and I'm like, but we were talking about the things of God for four or five hours via text, and, and I, I, he was talking about his church, and... and their church is very, um, very conservative, not in a political aspect, but in a scriptural aspect, to a point that it's putting them back in bondage. Um, and we were talking about music, and, and they don't play music within the church, and, and he actually is a square dancer, and another sister congregation, one of the preachers came in and told him that he was living in sin because he was going out and square dancing, and they're just very, very legalistic. And, and he said to me, as we were talking through this, he said, well, if you truly believe that the law was nailed to the cross and then the new law began, and I will, took a step back and I went, I was delivered from the law. Christ didn't come to nail the law to the cross. Christ came to fulfill the law. And he did so by living a sinless life and then dying for our sins and becoming the sacrifice. He fulfilled the law, church. I'm not going to enter back into a new law. Why would we do that to ourselves? And as I, I began to talk to this, this uh, gentleman, you know, what they do in their church services is they go through scripture by scripture and create new law. They create new bondage. I, I was delivered from that. Now, I believe, and, and as we'll read later, we, we don't want to take liberty to the extreme of living however we want. Paul says that in Galatians 5. But I'm not going to put the handcuffs back on. Christ broke those handcuffs. He took the law, and I, Paul says in 5 that if you, if you decide to, to go down the route of circumcision, you actually have to keep the whole law. It's like, wow, why would you put yourself back in that? You've been set free. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, uh, you served those gods uh, which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather known by God, 
How is it that you turn again to the weaker, the beggarly elements which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Again, you know, ritual. Do this, do that. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you, and you have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And so Paul's saying, you know, when I came and I preached to you, you, you were so thankful and you had this blessing, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And then look at this turn. 16. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? He says, you, you appreciated what I, what the gospel that I brought to you. You appreciated it so much so, you were a follower so much so, that you would have given me your eyes. You would have plucked them out for me. But now I'm giving you the truth and I've become your enemy. And church, we live in a world where we're scared to tell people the truth. We don't want to be people's enemies. I struggle with this. I'm going through this right now. Uh, I... Last week, and thank God, I woke up yesterday and it was gone. Uh, but I had a sty. My eye was almost swollen shut, and it's from stress of something that's taking place at work in which I have to tell someone the truth. And it's not comfortable. It's extremely uncomfortable. But I take my job so seriously, and I, I look at the scripture that says that if you offend a child, it would be better that you tie a millstone around your neck and be thrown in the ocean. And my job is to make sure that people aren't offending children to make sure that, that the teachers that are in the classroom are doing everything that they can to provide the best education in the best setting and to love children. That's my job. That's what I view my job as. And so I have to be brutally honest with this person. And it's coming up this week. And I told my boss on Friday, he said, you need to get a hold of this person first thing Monday. You need to set up a meeting and you need to go down through and, and lay out exactly what you saw. And it was through an observation. And I told him, I said, well, hopefully I'll be healed by then. I'll put on a suit and I'll have my mind right. Now, I get my mind right a little differently than, than the other administrators because the way I get my mind right is I go before God. I hit my knees because I know that I cannot do it in my own strength. I can't look somebody in the eyes because as much as I don't, like I wish that I was my dad. There are days like a 100% I wish that I was my dad because my dad, listen, you're not doing your job, he's going to tell you. And I don't think this is a secret. He would be a hard employer to work for. There are probably people who have worked for him and would tell you that. He has high standards. And he will hold you to those standards. My mom is a very compassionate person. I have a lot of my mom in me. And I don't want to hurt people's feelings, so, you know... But unfortunately, my boss looks at me and he says, we don't accept mediocrity around here. Go do your job. He wasn't talking to me. He was talking about, I need to be honest with that person. And so I, I try and channel my inner Lenny. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way, church. I would love to. I would love to just be my dad. But you know what? I'm not. There are part of me, there's, there's parts of me that I am, like uh, that, that, I resemble my dad a lot, probably the way I'm talking with my hands right now. 
But my attitude and, and, and my temperament is a lot like my mom's. And I love people, and, I'm, and not that dad doesn't, that sounds terrible. Um, mom's just, we probably give people the benefit of the doubt too much. And, and I have to go to work and tell someone the truth. And I'm guaranteeing you right now, because it's already starting, I'm the enemy. But church, we can't, we have to know, and, and, and I know I'm applying this to work, but even within the body, we have to be honest with each other. You know, I, I sent Pastor a text a, a while back, and I said, I just saw somebody, and they told me they were going to send holy laughter my way. I said, I don't even know what that means. And it was, the, it was actually the Sunday, it was immediately following, and Pastor was talking about the Word of God and using it as the plumb line. It was about three or four weeks ago. And I, I said, well, that was confirmation of that message, but I don't even know what that means. And in this body, church, we can't let foolishness take over. We have to be honest with each other. And, and honesty, it lines up with the Word of God. And you know what? Honesty hurts. And if you're offended, probably in the wrong. Honesty hurts, but we shouldn't be offended by the honesty. The church in Galatians, if they were offended by Paul's message, it was because they were clearly in the wrong. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in the good things always, and not only when I am present with you. Church, this is exactly what happened. I, I love this. It's confirmation for me and, and, and what I do every day. <clears throat> this is exactly what happened. When I had planned uh, opportunities to go in and watch a teacher, they did exactly what I had asked. And then when I walked in unannounced, they weren't doing anything. At all. And Paul says, you know, you're zealous when I'm not around, or when, or when I'm around, when I'm there. And so they were putting on a front. They're just trying to impress, trying to impress Paul. It's like, you know, pastor walks by, I'm going to raise my hand. Pastor know everything's all right, you know. And, and he's saying, you know, there are people who are trying to pull you away and be zealous for them, be zealous for the bad. And you're putting on a front when I'm there. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he, the free woman, through the promise. See, Isaac was born through promise. Ishmael was born through the flesh. You know, if we go back to Genesis and read that story, Abraham concocted that. His wife actually devised the plan. Hey, go sleep with her. Go sleep with Hagar. We'll, we'll make this happen. God's not doing it. It's not in his time. or it's, it's, He's not doing it fast enough for, for us. Uh, they, they didn't rely on the promises of God and his timing. And they created a, a son in the flesh, but not according to the promise. <clears throat> which things are symbol? Uh, which things are symbol? And symbol Sorry, symbolic. For these are the two covenants that 
one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in uh, Arabia. And the correspondent to Jerusalem, which is now, uh, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is re- written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For desolate has many... Uh, for, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Church, we're children of promise. That's where my identity is. I'm a son of God. You know, we can talk about where we live, where we were raised, but we are children of God, heirs to Christ. But it is he who was uh, born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so is now. See, those who are born of the flesh persecute those who are born of the spirit. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be the heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Church, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. It is amazing to live in the liberty of Christ. I had a great conversation with Mama. uh, It was probably a a month ago, and, and I was talking to her about growing up in church and how I didn't fully understand the liberty of Christ. And it, it's no, no fault of New Hope or my parents. or It took me earnestly seeking and searching the scripture to discover and to find the freedom of Christ. Because I had created my own cell with rules and laws. And that, that freedom... The moment that that freedom overcame my soul changed my life, church. So st- uh, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Church, don't put the handcuffs back on. Christ has taken them off. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. See, if you're trying to live by the law... Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. And I go back to the conversations that I had with the the co-worker and they're uh, meticulously going through the Bible and literally creating New law. Those were his words. Those are not my words. New law. Not the new covenant. New law. They're putting themselves back in bondage, church. Putting the handcuffs back on. You have become estranged from Christ. Raise your hand if you want to become estranged from Christ. No. That's that's the, the only hope that I have, church. The only hope that I have is my hope that's in Christ. The one that gives me an expected end. 
You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. Your justification comes through Christ and Christ only. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. See, we eagerly wait for that righteousness because we know the struggle, church, right? We know the struggle it is to follow the law. So we're waiting for that that righteousness. That's our great hope. I can't wait until we enter into eternity and I am made pure. When I can cast off the flesh. When I no longer have to toil and struggle. For if Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So he's saying, you guys are putting forth effort. Who who hindered you from uh, obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. There are outside forces, church, who come against uh, the spirit and try and uh, manipulate our thoughts, and, and as the next scripture says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You let a little bit of that in, and it messes up the whole thing. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will be, uh, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And as and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. Man, that's powerful, powerful words. I don't want I don't want the cross to cease. The power of the cross to cease, church. Again, that's the hope that we rest in. That's the hope that we have to cling to. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, that liberty, it's the balance, church. Because if we take liberty to extremes, we've got, I'm sending holy laughter your way. Right? And worse. Worst things happen when you take liberty uh, as an opportunity for the flesh to take over. See, we were meant to live in this liberty, but not for the flesh, for the spirit. Think about the, 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 the um, it's not a parable, but the, the actual story where Jesus goes and meets the Samaritan woman. And she said, well, you know, our ancestors worship here, but the Jews are saying we need to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, there's a time coming, and the time is now, when you will worship in spirit and in truth. See, church, this, is, this liberty is the spirit. It's that operation of us in the relationship that we have with God, where he tells us, Chase, that's wrong. Don't go there. Don't do that. Not, well, let's go through here and find out what handcuffs we can put on ourselves today. 
See, we have the liberty in our spirit. That liberty is not to our flesh. It's not, it's not a free pass to sin. For all the law is fulfilled in the one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest uh, you are consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. And we know that. That's the struggle we deal with every day. And Paul says it best, what I want to do, I don't. What I don't want to do, I do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, church, we have to be Spirit-led. And that takes work. Because to be Spirit-led, you have to die to the flesh daily. Every single day, you have to kill that wicked flesh. We have to be deliberate about that. Again, and I'll, I'll relate it to work. My flesh says, channel your father. You know what? Just pick up the Ross or axe and go to work. My flesh says, or, but my spirit says, you need to go to your knees because somebody's soul is in the balance. What I have to do is hard, but the greater picture is, is I want to do it in love. And I'm going to be honest with this person, and I'm going to tell them the truth, but I have to do it in love. Church, we have to operate in the Spirit. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are idolatry, fornication, uh, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, Contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath. I'm, I'm very familiar with outbursts of wrath coming from Appalachia. That's my go-to, okay? Especially when driving. And what I don't understand, and, and as I was reading that book for my class, one of the things he said was, he said, you know, when we get in arguments, we don't get in arguments um, to get our point across. We get in arguments to win, and to injure the other person. And, and I find that true in my own life because I, the, the meanest things I think I've said in my entire life have probably been directed at my wife, to her, to her face. I've said the harshest things probably to her. And I'm not proud of that. I'm not bragging at all. I'm actually ashamed to say that. But I think growing up in southeastern Ohio, we're, we're, we have a culture of win the argument. Say anything, and you say the things that hurt the worst and cut the deepest. Church, those are things of the flesh. Outbursts of wrath. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're clear. They're obvious. Evident. That means they're, we can identify them easily. Here they are. And Paul lists them. Outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, all of, which I tell you, uh, I, all of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in past time, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. See, church, it's obvious when we operate in the Spirit because we do those things. And there is no bondage in them because when we're operating in the Spirit, we do the works of Spirit. And we have to die to our flesh every day to do it. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Church, we have to live and walk in the Spirit. And I'm, I'm going to take a moment. And if you go back to uh, verse 14, it says, For all the wall is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if we would look at the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, when he's talking to a, a scribe about what it means to love your, love your neighbor. We're going to start with verse 25. It says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your uh, reading of it? And, and so this, this is a lawyer. It's a scribe. He would be well-versed in the, in the law. And so Jesus actually threw it back on him and said, well, you tell me. You know, you're going to question what you need to do. You tell me. What, in your studies, what have you found? And so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. And he wanting to justify himself. Now, this, this is interesting. He wanted to just, justify himself. And we do this all the time. We say, hey, how close can I get without falling in? He wanted to know, Jesus, who do I really have to love? Who's my neighbor? I need you to define neighbor so I can choose who to love. And we do that all the time. We look for that line and then see how close we can get to it without falling in. You know, just how uh, or who exactly do I need to love Jesus? Because um, if it's the worst of the worst, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to take the effort to do it, right? That's the attitude he has here. But wanting to justify himself. Again, that word justify lends to us that, that he, he, wants, he, wants to, uh, he wants to justify his actions. <clears throat> and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jer uh, Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him in his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. And so the priest, and you know the story, you probably learned it in Sunday school. There was a man, we don't know if they're a Gentile or a Jew, but there's someone laying half dead on the road. And the priest sees this man, and it says, crossed on the other side of the road. That means he got out of the way, went away, 
obviously went around him to avoid it. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. The Levite does the same thing. He sees this, this man half dead. I don't want to get involved with that. And you know, it doesn't tell us. Maybe they knew him. Maybe they knew this man. Maybe they didn't like him. We've all, we all have our list, right? People that we don't like. That's not the spirit of God. That's not operating in the spirit. Heck, I have my list. And I have to work every day to, to, to be nice to these people and to love them and to pray for them. Man, that one gets me. Praying for those who despitefully use you. It's like every time I read that scripture, it just stabs me. I'm like, man, I, I don't want to. That's the flesh. The spirit will. And that's how we know, church. <clears throat> but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so, church, the Samaritan, and you probably know this, they were uh, looked down upon by the Jews, actually so much so that they didn't interact with them. Um, because they didn't follow, the, the Samaritans didn't follow the law, and they had intermingled, and, and um, they had married foreigners, okay? Thus mixing um, the race, um, so they were looked down by the Jews. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, when he was there, uh, when he, sorry, came where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil and a wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So he's taking money out of his own pocket to care for someone he's never met. He puts him, which is inconvenient to him, on the back of his animal, forcing him to walk, and he's moved by compassion. Now think about this from the, the scribe's point of view. Jesus is telling the story, and you've just asked, who's my neighbor? And Jesus picks the people you're, the, the society has cast out. The society uh, that, that within your culture says, you don't talk to them. <clears throat> Can you imagine the scribe as he has stood up and is questioning Jesus? And Jesus is painting this picture for him, essentially saying, yeah, I'm going to show you who your neighbor is. It's the people that you despise the most so much so that you won't even talk to them. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And so Jesus poses another question to the lawyer and says, hey, which one of these three uh, acted as a neighbor to the one who got mugged? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. 
And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. See, church, we've been shown mercy. So we have to show mercy. Even on the people that we despise. Even on the people that our society says, you don't associate yourself with them. And I want to go back, if we can, to Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to end on this. And I want you, as you go through the week, think about this. And pray that God can help you to operate in the Spirit. For the, lust, or sorry, for the flesh, lust against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, and so as you go through your week, pay attention to the works that you are doing. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Man, that's a hard one. So it's easy to not like people and to say that you hate them. And as Americans, we do this. We, we, we try and justify our actions, just like the scribe. We say, oh, I don't hate them. I just don't like them. And then we're splitting hairs, right? We're just splitting hairs. That's not a work of the Spirit, church. It's a work of the flesh. And you know what? It's hard because we leave here right now. It might be easy. And, you know, we're here for two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening, two hours on Wednesday. You know, you might get together with some Christian friends throughout the week. But I bet if we came here every single day, we might have some people we dislike in this congregation. Shoot, we're not here that much. I bet there probably already are people that you don't like in this congregation. Now, take ourselves out of the church setting and go to your work setting. What's your work setting like? What actions are you taking? Are they hatred? And I fight this one, church. Listen, I got all kinds of reasons to hate people. And I would think they're justified in my flesh. But according to Scripture, I need to pray for those people. I need to love those people. And I can't do that in the flesh. Because the works of the flesh are these. Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. This is America. Everybody has selfish ambitions. I've got them. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in past time, to those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit in church, these are the actions that we should see in ourselves. And I pray, honestly, I pray and hope. You know, if, if, if I die tomorrow, I pray the people that I've worked with throughout the years, when they come and they say, hey, here lies Chase. 
<clears throat> and I hope that it's like the reaction that Carrie had when she goes, My husband? Him? Because I hope that I can practice the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy. Do you have joy, church? You can't find joy from buying a new house, from moving to another state. You can't find joy by getting a new job. If you're unhappy and you think, well, if I have kids, I'll be happy. You're not going to find joy just by having kids. You'll probably be even more unhappy, and then you're going to have unhappy kids. I'm not kidding. Because you're not going to have any sleep. (laughs) Joy. It's lost, church. You know, it's lost. The church has lost joy. And this isn't a joke at all. Uh, My superintendent sent me a picture, and it was a group of people that we work with, and and they um, they just won an award. Four people won an award. One of them was smiling. I said, gee, smile for... You you just won an award. Be happy about something. There's nothing in this world that can bring you happiness. It only comes through the Spirit. We have to have the joy of the Lord, church. Peace. Man, I haven't slept for two weeks. That's not from the Lord. I had Chad pray with me this morning. The first thing he prayed for was peace. And I felt like water coming over my body. I was like, man, my soul just was at peace. Because that's the spirit. That's operating in the spirit. Long-suffering, kindness. Do you show kindness? Not just to your family and friends, but to the Samaritans, which you're not supposed to associate with. Society tells you to stay away from. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Man, I, I want to be gentle. I want to have gentleness. Because <clears throat> I can be sharp. You know, I, I think we possess that. Self-control. Wow, I need that. My flesh needs self-control, church, on lots of levels. It, it's, if you're not practicing self-control, it's because you're operating in the flesh. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with, the passion, uh, with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> and I love uh, Galatians 5.26. As a kid, I actually had this posted in my room. Um, and let us not become conceited. Uh, conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Church, we have to worry about ourselves and our relationship with Christ. Your eyes shouldn't be out here. It should be right here. And right here. And maybe right here. Finding out what's coming out of that heart because out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Church, I want to conclude on that. Booth, if you want to play some music, the altars are open. Ask that, that God would...
let you live in the Spirit, but also walk in the Spirit, church.